Thanks for downloading a 3CR podcast. 3CR is an independent community radio station based in Melbourne, Australia. We need your financial support to keep going. Go to www.3cr.org.au for more information and to donate online. Now stay tuned for your 3CR podcast. Bisexual Alliance is a non-profit organisation dedicated to raising awareness and supporting people who are bisexual, people who are multi-gender attracted, their partners and their families. Bisexual Alliance runs several monthly discussion groups in and outside of Melbourne to offer support, a safe space to chat about your experiences and to explore others' experience of multi-gender attraction. These groups are for bisexuals, those who are questioning and their loved ones. For more information, visit bi-alliance.org or email info at by-alliance.org Hi, I'm Tristan Taramino and you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Hey everyone, you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio It's really good to to be in the studio um, with myself, Tan Hung, and two new presenters Taz and Jules. Hey. Hi. Welcome. Hello. So excited Hello. to have you have you um, joined the collective. So it should be really exciting. Um, Jules and Taz will be presenting the third Sunday of every month. And um, that song that we just heard was Freak Beat by um, Perth-based musician May Saraswati. So over to you, Jules and Taz. Hey. So um, thanks so much for querying the air, for inviting us on to do a show every month. Um, yeah, I'm Jules. Um, I'm from, I'm living in Footscray currently, I'm studying aged care, and I'm really glad to be on Queering the Air. Hey Taz, how's it going? Um, well, thank you. That's good. Um, so hello everyone, I'm Taz, um, this is my first show. Uh, I use they, them pronouns, I identify as a queer Muslim person of colour. And to our Muslim listeners, Asalaamu Alaikum, that means peace be upon you. I was born in the Middle East to expatriate workers and lived there for 18 years before moving to Australia almost five years ago. Um, so I do have an interest in Middle Eastern politics, conflicts, foreign policy, and also the condition of the Muslim today and how Islamophobia shapes our experiences. Um, initially, when I thought about my introduction, I thought about simply mentioning um, that I'm a Muslim, but I didn't think I should go into detail or speak about it. And I later thought to myself and wondered how many Muslims sort of actually hosted Queering the Air, or just how many Muslim voices we hear in queer spaces and how often we see them represented. Um, so I felt it was important for me to speak on this. Um, that said, I think listeners should be aware that I'm not out to my family, although they have suspicions. Um, I would prefer that the listeners would be mindful, respectful, and aware of that, or else I'll feel un- unsafe and uncomfortable. Um, to the queer and questioning Muslim listening, I know it's hard being a Muslim in an era of widespread Islamophobia, dealing with patriarchy and its manifestations in different communities, the understanding and practice of faith tradition, and also the relationships outside the Muslim community. Um, I know I'm generally selective when I speak about the Muslim community, when I'm outside of it, mostly because I'm wary of my concerns and critiques being co-opted and used to perpetuate anti-Muslim sentiment. Within the community, however, I'm more critical and I believe in resisting oppression according to our context and ability in our personal relationships, consumption habits, choices, and actions. The way I would conduct myself back home, for example, would be different to the way I would resist here. Um, I guess back to being a queer Muslim, 
I want the Muslim listener to know that being a queer Muslim is no paradox. Becoming comfortable with those two identities hasn't been easy, and it's taken a while for me as well. I remember back when I was in middle school, when I Googled about homosexuality and Islam or being queer and Muslim, I would be directed um, almost immediately to mainstream celebrity shakes of preachers. They may have had some nice things to say sometimes, but on this topic they were adamant it wasn't possible and condemned such Muslims as not Muslims at all. And uh, I can tell you as someone who dearly loves Islam and my relationship with Allah, and I invest a lot of time and energy in supporting the Muslim community and protecting them, these kinds of statements hurt. They really do. It's denying me of my core identity. It's displacing me from my community and putting me into a place of denial or self-hatred. In fact, until up to two years ago, I remained in constant internal turmoil. I actually doubted myself. I thought I was sinning and I should be punished because that's all I knew. That's all I was told and heard about. Thankfully, eight years on, um, there's greater representation of queer Muslims. There are many organizations like the Safra Project in the UK, the Inclusive Women's Mosque in the USA and United Kingdom, Musawa, Outburst, Sisters in Islam, which is based in Malaysia, Yusuf Foundation in Marhaba, which is the queer Muslim group based in Melbourne. And of course, there's the online presence on Facebook and Tumblr. Um, and yet, queer spaces still remain very white. When I first approached the queer department stall at my university during a week, I was already aware of my Muslimness, and the person at the stall seemed hesitant to talk to me. I almost felt immediately uh, uncomfortable, and more importantly, I felt unwelcome. I actually pretended to be an ally, and I seldomly enter the queer lounge since, and to be honest, I don't enjoy it either. So I guess where all this links in is that without hearing Muslim voices, without seeing representation, without being able to understand the intersectionality of the struggles, people can feel alienated, um, isolated, and feel that they don't belong. And I'm here because I don't ever want an, another young Muslim battling with their identity of being queer and Muslim. They feel like they're a sin and that neither the Muslim and the queer community has a space for them. Um, queer, queer Muslims, you are valid. You're just as Muslim. The word Salah in Arabic comes, means prayer, and its letters are derived from the word Itisal, which means relationship or connection. And no one has the right to regulate your intimate relationship with Islam. No matter where you are in your journey and your adherence to religious practice, this connection is yours. Um, I do have a song that I'd like to play. Um, Thanks, it's, that was amazing. Thank you. <laughs> yeah, I just want to say that's like that's an amazing introduction, and thank you so much for for that. And um, yeah, that's probably one of the best introductions I've had in a long time. So thank you. Yeah. <laughs> thank you for being on Queering the Air. <laughs> oh, thank you. <laughs> Pleasure to be here. Um, so this song's called Blue Scholars, um, and it's about um, it's called. Burnt offering and in the song God is referred to with she pronouns and it's about the complex relationship with the artist has with religion, particularly Christianity, but I think uh, it's pretty relatable um still. So um awesome. here we go. Burnt scholars uh, sorry, blue scholars burnt offering. <laughs> <laughs> But the uncertain promise that I'll honestly pursue the crooked path of the conscious, not just another body in the battle for the soul, never sold self or its Hi, you're listening to Querying the Air with Jules, Tanhai, and Tanz. Sorry about that. Go on. <laughs> Hi, you're listening to Querying the Air with Jules, Tanhai, and Taz. What was that song? Uh, that was Blue Scholar's Burnt Offering. Awesome. Um, so... Uh, 
Um, Monique, my friend, invited me to participate in a project called the um, Our Voices Changing Cultures project recently. Um, sorry, not so recently, about uh, about the about March or April, I think. And it's turned out to be a really epic project. So I thought I'd invite them to do an interview. And so I'd like to play that for the listeners now. Um, yeah, and the project came out of um, the place called the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health. So enjoy. Hey, listeners. Um, we're here today with Monique Hamid. Um, hey, Monique. Hey. Um, how's it going? I'm good today. How are you? I'm pretty good. I just <laughs> had some good Thai food. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so Monique's here with us today from the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health. Yes. Um, and she's here today to talk about a project she's working on with young LGBTIQ women from culturally diverse and migrant and refugee backgrounds. Um, I've been a bit, in, I've been involved a bit in the project too. Do you want to, um, yeah, tell us a bit about the Multicultural Centre for Women's Health? Yep, yeah, sure. So it's a national health organisation um, for women run by immigrant and refugee women for immigrant and refugee women. So we work with women from immigrant communities, including refugees and asylum seekers, international students and women from both emerging and established communities. Um, and MCWH is basically committed to improving the health and well-being of immigrant and refugee women around Australia. And we do that in a couple of ways. So we do it through advocacy, social action, um, research and capacity building and bilingual education, which is probably the biggest part of our work. So we have 50 bilingual health educators that deliver um, information about health and well-being mm. in language. I don't know if I've asked you this yet. Are you bilingual? I'm not. I can speak little bits of different languages, but no, English is my main language. No, neither. <laughs> yeah, shame. Um, I know. <laughs> I wish. Um, <laughs> um, me too. Um, what's your um, role at the at the centre there? Mm -hmm. So I'm the project officer for the Our Voices Changing Cultures project. So that's the project that's working with young LGBTIQ women from culturally diverse migrant and refugee backgrounds. Yeah, and I've been, sorry, I've been in that role since February this year. Awesome. Yeah, so it's a really big and like ambitious project. Mm. So how did it, how did it come about? And, and yeah, what were you hoping to explore with it? And did you, I guess, did you, did you realise it'd be this big? And were you wanting it to be this like sort of, mm. yeah. Um, well, it started, I came onto the project in February, but um, before me, Megan Wong, who worked at MCWH, was working on it. It was kind of her idea. So she put the grant through um, and she, yeah, I guess wanted to do a project that specifically engaged with LGBTIQ issues because MCWH hadn't really had a project running that had done that before. Um, yeah. Cool. Um, yeah, so jumping into the, the project, the first stage um, involved group, group discussions around different things. Could you tell us a bit about what those things were? Yeah, so one of the topics we discussed, um, I guess I should start explaining what the group discussions were. Yeah, so we started right. off like um, wanting to just create a space for people to talk about 
some of the issues that the project was going to deal with. We wanted it to be like a pretty open and informal space. Mm. I think there are about 15 people who came to the first mm. one and mm. um, a couple more than that came to the second one. Mm. Um, and yeah, we talked about so much stuff. I think they went for two hours and then the second one went for three hours. Mm. I think people were just really excited to be in a room with a whole yeah. lot of other queer and trans people of colour. I don't know, did you feel yeah, that? Yeah, I remember that like that real like intimacy and excitement that was around in those sessions. It was great. Yeah, I feel like there's not that many spaces like that in Melbourne mm. to talk about that kind of stuff. Yeah, totally. Um, but one of the things we talked about a lot was the idea of coming out. Um, so, yeah, it was called – the topic was called coming out, coming home or inviting people in. So we kind of talked about this idea that's often there in a lot of mainstream LGBTIQ narratives that there is this um, crucial coming out point in everybody's life. Um, and that's like a big part of their their identity. Um, and a lot of people didn't really relate to that narrative. So we talked about how you might not have a coming out story, um, that some people feel like they won't ever come out to their family or different cultural communities. And we talked about whether that should always be seen as a negative thing or whether that's an empowering choice that people are making. Um, we talked about the idea that coming out might not be such a linear narrative that it might be something that's more cyclical and mm. I think I remember one person talking about the idea that if they looked more femme coming out as queer it seemed to be something that they just had to do every day mm. um so yeah I guess like that idea that often like coming out's presented as a turning point but um somebody said like I don't really see it that way I'm constantly navigating around social structures and relationships all the time mm -mm. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can relate to that, yeah. Yeah. Um, I remember this really cool quote where someone was like, um, you know, with the idea of the pressure to come out from a lot of LGBTIQ people, especially maybe people who don't have um, cultural communities that they need to keep that from, they were like, you know, do I join the white people who don't know what my story is or do I join the straight people who still don't know yeah. what my story is? And you know, they said, like, now it's a bit better for me because I'm starting to engage with other queer people from my cultural group. But if they'd been forced to come out to their family, for example, um, at the start, they would have been completely abandoned and lost. Mm. So it's also about, like, needing that support as well before you're forced to, to come out about that stuff. And, mm -hmm. also, yeah, the idea that maybe you, you won't make that choice. Maybe there are important strengths that you get from your cultural community that you don't want to lose. Yeah, totally. Um, yeah, the sec, oh, on that note, um, talking about first day stuff, um, it was interesting that you chose the term, um, culturally diverse, um, migrant and refugee or people from culturally diverse and migrant and refugee backgrounds mm. to like these people to include in the discussions. Could you tell me about? a bit like why you use that term instead of like people, like women of colour? Yep. So um, one thing I guess was that the grant was written with th that terminology. So often I feel like you adopt a language to write a grant application. Um, so yeah, in the grant it was for young same-sex attracted women from migrant or refugee backgrounds. I think we also wanted to stick with migrant or refugee because MCWH is an organisation for immigrant and refugee women. So it was mm. important that this project also was for them. Mm. Um, but yeah, I did think about whether we would use 
terms like people of colour or women of colour. And I think the conclusion that I came to um, was that with every term, you kind of, there are lines drawn and people who don't fit into mm. those categories. Mm. It's very mm. hard to find a term that's going to encompass everyone you want. Um, mm. And everyone you don't want. Yeah, <laughs> totally. And I think that um, we wanted it to be a very inviting, open project. Um, and it turns out, you know, like, I think what I realised was that it wasn't so much about um, not wanting white people to be involved because, as you saw, there were quite mm -hmm. a few people who identified as white and also refugee or um, mm. they came from a migrant background that mm. maybe had a complicated relationship to whiteness. Mm. And those people were really appreciated in the kind of, like, insights they gave and and the stuff that they said, but also I wanted it to be culturally diverse as well, which mm. is why I kind of said culturally diverse migrant and refugee. Um, but another thing I thought about was that everyone, if not indigenous, is a migrant on this land. Yeah. So it was important that it wasn't dominated by the same voices that often dominate LGBTIQ discussions. Yeah, um, totally. Yeah. Awesome. Um, what sort of things um, have come up during, like for you and for others, do you think, during some of the discussions? Um, hmm. I don't know. What kind of stuff came up for you in the group discussions? Was there anything that you weren't expecting us to talk about that we did? Um, I just remember being super nervous and, yeah. then, and then saying a few things and it all sort of coming out at once in this big blur. And like, I feel like it was really good stuff that you said. <laughs> <laughs> and everyone was really like supportive and some people were nodding their heads and yeah. And like, I think, feel like a lot of people got some of that affirmation and intimacy mm. and positive feels out of it. Yeah, totally. I, I really liked um, the discussion about visibility in mainstream LGBTIQ cultures because I think um, a lot of people talked about how visibility is often seen as this positive thing. It's all about getting, um, you know, people of colour to be more visible, put them on the brochures, like, you know, make us look more diverse and inclusive. Um, but I feel like the conversation we had was really complex and it talked about how visibility often is actually vulnerability. Um, mm. So, yeah, people talked about how visibility can be dangerous for some people, that um, it's not always easy for them to be visible in society um, especially if they're not out to all of their friends and family. But we also talked about different types of visibility. So someone brought up the point that they've only ever been street harassed for being Asian. So their gender or sexuality didn't necessarily come into it in that moment where they're being harassed on the street. Mm. Um, but they already feel like a very visible person. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Um, so there's the... I guess we, we, we were also talking a bit about the continuation um, just casually between the, f the first stage and the second stage, which mm. was um, more of a, like a performance-based stage, but there is a continuation. Did you want to talk a bit about, I guess, the second stage and yeah. that continuation maybe? Yeah, so the first stage, as I said, was like very informal. It was about getting people to meet each other and start talking about the themes. The second stage... Not everyone who was involved in the first stage kept going with the second stage. You did, and um, there are probably about eight other people who did. Yeah. Um, and we used some of the group discussion 
in those theatre workshops. So we recorded those sessions with people's permission, of course, um, and we took little audio clips and changed the voice levels and removed names so that people could stay anonymous. Mm. And we've used them in the theatre workshops. So we've got these short clips of amazing quotes that people have, have talked about. Um, for example, there's a great one about um, finding different pronouns in different languages that are, that fit their identities better than English. So the importance of culture and language in how they view their sexuality and gender. Um, so we took that quote and then we kind of created um, movement pieces around them. So yeah, there was definitely some connections between both, but the theatre workshops are definitely more creative and more using bodies in space. Mm. Yeah. Awesome. Um, we might take that opportunity to go to a song. Hello, you're listening to Queering the Air with Jules, Tanhang and Taz. And the song that was played just then was Blues Scholar's Ronnie McRidgie. Um, I'll just return back to the interview. Hi listeners, we're back at 3CR, Queering the Air with Monique, who's talking to us about the Our Voices Changing Cultures project. Yeah. Um, I got the title right, didn't I? You did, you did. I always stuff up titles. <laughs> um, so tell me about some of the the people and skills who've been helping to facilitate this project. Um, yeah. So two people that have been really crucial in the project have been Tash and Kai. They are two queer um, people of colour who are facilitating the theatre workshops. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. <clears throat> They're amazing. Mm, very, very, theatri- very theatrical and yeah. upbeat and amazing people. Yeah, because, I mean, we've talked about this before, but both of us don't really come from theatre backgrounds and a lot of people involved in the project hadn't had any experience doing work like this before. So they've been really amazing at, I guess, introducing people to different ways of using their body in space, um, different ways to express themselves. Um, yeah, so they've been some great people that are involved in the project Mm. um yeah and I guess also just friends and um various different queer and trans people from culturally diverse backgrounds have been really helpful in the project I have friends that have been offering to do artworks Mm -hmm. for the posters um they've been great older mentors that I've talked to about how to run things because this is kind of my first time running a project like this so getting advice from friends um, and especially older people with experience has been really really helpful Mm. yeah I remember one of the discussions we were having about the project you were talking about um a sort of continuation between people sort of younger in their 20s and older people, yeah. like queer people of colour or just older queer people. 
Yeah, I think something that came out of the group discussions is that it often feels like you're the first person to be going through this. When you are dealing with all this stuff to do with identity and culture, you can feel very isolated mm. um, if you don't feel accepted by the people around you. And one thing that seemed to be really important to everyone was the idea of intergenerational links. Um, so that was something that I really want to explore with the project and hopefully with the performance at the end um, we're talking about having a panel discussion yeah, and maybe wow. getting some older LGBTIQ people to talk about their experiences because I think sharing that history and knowing that, you know, you're not alone and you're not the first person to go through this stuff is really powerful. Like I don't know about you, but I, it really meant a lot to me when I met mm. older um, South Asian or um, South Asian Muslims, especially um queer women mm -hmm. because it really helped me see a future for myself because mm -hmm. you just don't see representations of of that around you no I'm quite jealous because I don't know these women yeah, yeah. <laughs> um yeah awesome I guess the project isn't the project isn't finished yet um no. there's still a few things to go would you like to talk a bit about that and also I guess also some expected or unexpected things that are coming out of it or that have come out of it. Sure. So in terms of where the project's at, where like um, two theatre workshops have happened so far. So we've got one to go. Um, that's been really cool. And so we're probably pretty much nearly done. There's a performance piece that started to be created, which is really exciting. And the performance will probably be at the end of November. Mm-hmm. So um, I'd love to let Queering the Air know about the performance date when I know yeah. it so that people can come so along. Can plug it. <laughs> yeah, totally. Because um, we'd love to see lots of people there, especially queer and trans people of colour. Yeah. Um, because that's what this is for, basically. Yeah. It's for you guys. Um, yeah. And I guess in terms of what unexpected things have come out of the project so much, I think... I wasn't expecting how excited people would be about it, how much a space to talk was needed. Um, so the response that I got to the group discussions, how excited people were, how they just kept hanging around after. I remember like the second group discussion went way longer than we scheduled it. People mm, just mm. kept like talking out into the street, wouldn't go home. So mm. it was really amazing to see the enthusiasm. Mm, totally. Yeah. Um, and some like personally some... Um some things that you've been asked to do because of the project? Yeah, so I've been asked to talk at different events. Um, so talking at different LGBTIQ functions um, has been interesting. Um, but also I've really personally loved talking in high schools. Um, me and Jinghua, who also does Queering the Air um, and was also involved in some of the project, were invited to talk at McRob Girls High recently mm. and we were invited by the feminist collective there. So that was really amazing to see these young women who seemed so empowered invite us to talk about, um, yeah, being queer, um, having coming from different cultural backgrounds, the kind of things that I never really got to talk about when I was in high school. So that's been a really great aspect of the project. Cool. Um, and, yeah, that, like, you also do work with Undercurrent in in high schools yeah. and I was yeah, doing a bit of training there for a bit and Undercurrent are also involved in the community accountability mm -hmm. reading groups and things like that. Can you like, 
Can you like relate the two things? Yeah, definitely. Um, So I've done a lot of workshops in high schools with Undercurrent around consent and healthy relationships. Um, And I think like I definitely bring my queerness and my cultural background to that work. And I think I bring my politics to all my work. So I'm pretty passionate about things like prison abolition. Um, Yeah, and immigrant and refugee rights and all these things I try and talk about in all my work. So, yeah, when I was talking in high schools for this project, I was definitely referencing stuff that I've talked about with Undercurrent. Yeah. Awesome. Um, yeah, thanks so much for joining us on the show. That's okay. It was a pleasure. Um, yeah, any final words? Um, I guess I'll keep everyone updated with the performance date. Um, if anyone wants to get in contact, my email is monique, M-O-N-I-Q-U-E, at mcwh.com.au. So especially if you are um, a same-sex attracted or LGBTIQ woman from a culturally diverse migrant or refugee background and you'd like to hear more about the project, um, definitely get in touch. Awesome. Thanks so much for coming on the show. Thank you. <laughs> We jail black males in Australia nationally at a rate five times greater than apartheid South Africa jailed black males in 1993. The suicide and self-harm rates are the highest in the world and the life expectancy gap is the biggest in the first world. You know, Australians don't like hearing the truth about how bad things are, but the more we resolve from it, the longer this is going to continue. Black fella, white fella, it doesn't matter what you colour. Mainstream media is not interested in this stuff. It doesn't find space to talk truthfully and deeply about issues that affect all Australians. The only place predominantly you will find that with any real depth is on community radio, and 3CR has been one of the great leaders in that. So if people are wondering where they should spend their hard-earned cash, I would suggest 3CR is a bloody good place to start. What your name is, we got the hand. Lots of changes, we need more brothers. You're listening to 3CR. This is Billy X. Jennings of the Black Panther Party. Power to the people. Hey, everyone. That's right. You're on 3CR. Um, 855 on your AM dial. Or you can stream online. Um, So last night... um, Oh, you're also back on Queering the Air. And last night, me and Taz went to a... um, a performance called Asian Ghostery Store and it was really awesome and we're going to rev- give it a quick review. Awesome. So yeah, so the show is created and performed by Shanan Lim and Vidya Rajan. Uh, it's a nice one-hour comedy skit. I personally enjoyed it. Um, it was really engaging and kept me reeled in throughout the entire act. Um, I've got to say Shanan and Vidya are both very talented and performed really well mm. last night. Um, so the show revolves around Asian-Australian identity. It depicts the stories of Asian migration to Australia and settlement, the interge- intergenerational gap, and also the practices and expectations of new migrants. Um, I enjoy the mixtures of tales of struggle, but also that of success with humor. Um, it creatively links different skits and segments that are blend together seamlessly. For example, it starts off with two, uh, with both of them in chairs, um, talking about co- uh, coming up, uh, what's coming up with the performance, what race, then blends into dance moves, and then an offbeat segment and comparing ideas about cultural and racial essentialism to the ways white people walk compared to Asian people. Um, there were other hilarious segments about Shanann's mother's total obsession with coconuts in an almost talk-like, talk show-like format, um, and also a segment where 
Vidya talked about how much she loved 18th century English literature and period dramas, yet feeling like never belonging. Uh, <laughs> My mom gets that feeling sometimes. Yeah, and it, and it moves into a scene. It moves into a scene involving talcum powder and hilariously um, attempts for both characters of color basically putting on white face and struggling to adopt racist attitudes of the time. Mm. So yeah. definitely recommend. Asian Ghostry Ghost Store will be showing at Errol's from September 18 to September 25. Tickets available on the Melbourne Fringe website. Yeah. Cool. So now we're going to hear a song. Um, this is one of my favorite songs I've been listening to nonstop because it's really nice outside. Um, it's called Girlfriend and it's by Olzang Pistol. listening to Queering the Air on 3CR. Hey 3CR listeners, that's right, you're listening to Queering the Air on 3CR um, and tuning in live with myself, Tan Hung, Jules and Taz. Hey, so yeah, I've been really upset recently about um, all of the refugee crises going on around the world. Um, and so just some quick thoughts on that. Um, sorry, it's a bit chaotic. So yeah, recently the Tony Abbott, recently Tony Abbott made a mm. so-called captain's call about bombing Syria. The Australian government on Monday the 14th of September commenced coalition airstrikes on ISIL targets, or so-called ISIL targets in Syria at the request of the US government. Yeah, by, wo- by wording the strikes as collective self-defense, the government appeared to be claiming that they are not... Um, doing an act of war. Malcolm Turnbull has called for people in the country to be big-hearted, but we're yet to see what that actually means in any way. And yeah, it makes no sense for our government to be taking in a small amount of hypocritically only Christian refugees on the one hand and bombing Syria on the other. Um, What are your thoughts, Taz? Yeah, I'm obviously very disappointed. Um, I cannot understand why... Um, how you can pick, you know, who's Christian, who's Muslim when, you know, people are, you know, fleeing more and they're drowning and you're busy picking, like, you know. Mm. And um, it's interesting that we condemn the Middle East for having all this sectarian violence and yet we kind of impose it on them mm-hmm. in terms of policy. And um, and also it also tells, it shows that we have the power to decide, you know, who's worthy of um, being humanized and who's dehumanized as well. Yeah, and it's... So, the whole debate is just, it's just so incredibly like impoverished in terms of like Tony Abbott, you know, describing it like there's no good guys. It's just a case of baddies versus baddies. Just all these ridiculous, simplistic arguments that continue to be made. Yeah, I think, I think this is just really common in in this in the Western world. We simplify um, the struggles and the and the issues. Um, in the Middle East, for example, we just reduce it to, oh, you know, it's their religion or they're just really barbaric and can't get organized without understanding, you know, the failure of governments and the interventions of um, foreign policy and how it's, you know, predicated on dominance mm-hmm. as well. So. And all sorts of things. So you have a piece to read up? I do. It's by Yaman Birawi. And 
he writes um, basically a little t- little timeline of how Syria has become home to refugees who fled the armies of Ibrahim Pasha in 1839, Circassian um, refugees in 1860, Armenian refugees in 1914, Palestinian refugees in 1948, and once again, Palestinian refugees in 1967, um, refugees from Kuwait in 1990, refugees from Lebanon in 1996, refugees from Iraq in 2003, and refugees from Lebanon in 2006, again after the um, in Israeli invasion of the South. Um, Syria has never asked any Arab for a visa to enter its land, whether it was you know, a visit or a permanent stay. And yet, today, Syrians struggle to find refuge um, in neighboring countries and beyond. Mm. Thanks, that was very powerful. Thanks, Taz. So we're just going to hear a song now. This is Heal by Yule. Why Gender is a group for trans and genderqueer questioning young people and friends. Why Gender runs social events and have monthly meetings in the city. Check us out on Facebook or see ygender.com for more info. Ygender.com Hey everyone, you're tuning in to Queering the Air on 3CR Community Radio 855am. That song we just heard was OK by Tracy Chen and the song before that was Heal by Yule. And um, so I just wanted to plug uh, Queering the Air, special episode that's coming up in October, October the 11th. Um, I'll be looking after that show and basically it's just going to be a special episode on um, queer, trans, people of colour, hair and um, queerness and the relationship between those two aspects. And so I'm seeking for contributors to... Um, send me in their stories, um, send me in love letters um, about their hair and to their hair and all the desires and complexities and complications that they have um, with hair. So if you're into that, then do check out our Queering the Air on Facebook and you can find the event page on there. And I'm looking for snail mail or emails or anything and they'll be read out um, on the day and they can be anonymous as well. So if you have any ideas, please please do contribute, and yeah, hopefully it can be like a really amazing show. Woohoo! Yeah, <laughs> and thank you, Taz and Jules, for for coming on air. It's been it's been really special, um, and I'm looking forward to your monthly shows every third Sunday of the month. Thanks so much. Yeah, thank you. Thanks for having us. Pleasure. Yeah, cool. All right, so we're gonna wrap up with a song. Um, this is "Let's Go to the Beach" by Banafee. Ah. 